0: We began a new series called Faith Like a Child, and it's based on, as we talked last week, let me share with you again this passage in Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, and they asked Him, Jesus, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And He called a little child to Him, and placed the child among them. So there they are. He puts a child in their midst, maybe in the middle of a circle, and then He said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, maybe pointing at this child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position or humble position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Uh, Also, we read this last week. Let me read it again in Mark chapter 10. The Bible tells us, and they were bringing children to Him that He might touch them, they being parents, presumably. Parents were bringing their children to Jesus, and the disciples, the Bible says, the disciples rebuked them because, as we talked last week, because they were trying to protect Jesus. He's too busy for such trivial little things like dealing with kids. And so the disciples were trying to help But when Jesus saw that, he was indignant, big word, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You know, there are two sides to every coin, though, right? We know that, and so as we talked last week also, the Bible teaches us that while Jesus says we need to be childlike very, very clearly here in what we just read, the Bible also teaches we're not supposed to be childish. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians. He said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So what gives is the question. I mean... Wait a minute, Jesus said we're supposed to be childlike, and yet God through Paul says, no, you're supposed to not, don't be childish, and we see that in other places in Scripture as well. The point is, as we talked last week and want to pick it up at that same place and move forward today, is that God wants us to understand the difference between childlike and childish. Yes, We are to be childlike. No, we are not to be childish, but yes, we are to be childlike, to develop faith like a child in so many different ways. There are so many things we can learn from children. And so in this series, over the next few weeks, we want to continue to look at ways that we can specifically, ways that we can be childlike in right ways, in good ways. Learn from the children around us. You know, it's fun to ask kids what they think. Um, You know, it was fun doing those videos. I appreciate their perspective. They, They say some pretty cool stuff, some interesting and funny things. But as much as it's fun to go and ask kids what they think, it's even better to say, Lord, what do you want us to know? Teach us. What do we need to understand? And Scripture teaches us that we need to be teachable. And so today I want to talk about what does teachable look like. I would say Scripture teaches that teachable, to be teachable is to be humble. It is to be wise enough to know that you are not yet wise enough. That is what Scripture teaches. You know, children, if you think about them, uh, maybe you can remember back when, when you were a child or maybe you have small children now or at least can remember when you had. Children are often teachable. In fact, they are like sponges. They, they soak up and they learn and they learn and in so many ways, including this one, we need to develop childlike faith. We need to become teachable for one thing. Now, I was talking to my son, Ethan, who, by the way, is uh, finishing up his first year of college at Cedarville University in Ohio. It's about a 20-hour drive from here, which Kim and I will jump in the rental van on Wednesday and go do that. She's actually in the air flying back from Africa right now, so she'll get 24 hours to sleep. That's enough. And then we'll, then we'll go to Ohio to go pick up Ethan but he is studying linguistics. He wants to be fluent in at least four languages or so at the end of his four years. He's working on that. And um, so as a freshman, he took a cl- he's finishing up a class right now called Introduction to Linguistics. And they've learned a lot of interesting things. And we were on the phone recently, and he was telling me about um, something that fit what we're talking about today very well. He said, you know, Dad, it's really cool. We've been studying all kinds of interesting things about how the brain works and, and how humans, uh, human language is developed and all that. And did you know that by age eight, you are at an extreme disadvantage in terms of being able to learn a new language? It is toddlers who are the best at learning new languages. They can do it just like that. I mean, they can be bilingual, trilingual, whatever, quickly just because there are things happening in their brains that do not happen any longer in ours. And I said, like, what kind of stuff? And he said, well, for one thing, um, let's see, their brains are not literally closed off yet like yours and mine. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, there's all kinds of science behind it, but what scientists have found is that that when you reach a certain age, beginning at age 8, it starts to go downhill quickly. Isn't that crazy? But at age 8, our brains literally start to shut down certain pieces, certain parts of the brain that allow us to take in things like language. In addition to that, he said, um, we learn to, to become biased or conditional, to only take in certain types of voice inflection or tone or sentence structure. So, assuming that most of us are just... Uh, uh, English-speaking only. Maybe there are a few bilingual people in here, but probably not too many. And so so what happens is you can hear something in another language that a toddler could pick up pretty quickly, but because it has different tones and different different uh, um, sounds in there, different sentence structure, maybe diphthongs and different things that change in the way that language is put together, uh, the toddler will pick it up quick, but you're like, what in the world? And, and you're going to struggle with it just simply based on age. But he said the most important thing that they understood is that the key reason children learn language better than most of us is because they're not afraid of making mistakes. They want to learn. They're hungry to learn. They're eager to try. And again, they're not afraid to, to make mistakes at it, whereas we get conditioned to, to, to struggle in these ways. So I would put it to all of us this morning that as best we can, we need to learn from toddlers, I mean, children in general, but even specifically toddlers in the context that we need to learn to be teachable and not let our brains or our hearts shut down. We need to continually look for ways to grow and become more and more teachable. And again, to be teachable is to be humble, to be wise enough to know that you're not yet wise enough. And it all starts with a healthy perspective of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. And I don't, I don't really think that is as much to do with like trembling and shaking as much as it is to do with, with respect and awe and reverence, that kind of thing. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. Uh, there is so much about teachability and humility. And so I want to show you some insightful stuff today today from that book. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Proverbs. We'll mostly be there. Uh, Look at at a number of scriptures, a number of interesting and amazing things that God tells us about this context uh, in that book. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, "...for the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding." You know, we need to understand that wisdom and knowledge are two different things. That's an important foundational piece to this topic. Both wisdom and knowledge are good, but they are different. There are a lot of very smart people who are not very wise. You've been one of those, or maybe you know one of those, okay? Smart people who still struggle with wisdom. That can happen. You see, wisdom is not just about information. It is also about application. And in the first few verses of chapter 1, as put it on the screen here for you, um, you can see... That Solomon, who's writing this, states that the purpose of writing his book is to teach wisdom and discipline and to help us understand what is wise. So there is this knowledge component. We're learning a lot. But he goes on to say it's more than that. He he teaches that it is also to learn to live disciplined and successful lives and do what is, what does he finish with? To do what is what? Right and just and fair. It's not just about learning stuff. It's about putting stuff in motion. So, that is so, so important. Now, Proverbs is somewhat of a hodgepodge of individual nuggets of wisdom, you might say, uh, as opposed to a lot of other Scripture that is flowing, you know, story-based and that kind of thing. It's more like uh, general truths and principles, which, by the way, is not to be confused with promises. There is a difference. It's another topic, but but uh, anyway, Proverbs is about general truths and principles that we can live by that are so powerful, and one of the themes running throughout the book of Proverbs is this idea that I want to talk about today, and that is teachability. God wants us to to develop wisdom to learn how to make the right choices in life, but we need to understand that unless we humble ourselves and stay teachable, developing faith like a child, God's Wisdom, otherwise, can be really just wasted on us. It really can be. You know, in the first eight chapters of Proverbs, Solomon writes to his son, um, and he says similar things over and over and over, like this in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, listen, my son, listen to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Garrett, who was playing bass up here, and Ethan, who we're going to pick up here in a few days, have heard me and Kim say that kind of thing over and over and over. How many of you have heard your parents at some point say that? Or maybe you've said it to your kids, right? Nobody? Come on. How many of you have heard something like that from mom and dad back in the day? Or maybe you've said it to your kids? Yeah. We need to understand what's being said here. You know, Solomon is trying to impart God's wisdom to his son, but God is doing so through Solomon to all of us. But we need to realize that it is completely useless if it goes in one ear and out the other. I mean, which so often can happen if we're not careful. Ironically and sadly, Solomon's son, quite possibly the son that he is talking to here, uh, has a great struggle, which we'll see about later, in that he fails to put into motion all these things that are being said to him. We'll look at that in just a minute. But the point is, is that good teaching does not always generate or correlate with good, listen, or good living. You would think good teaching leads to good living, right? You would hope, but not always. How many of you have ever had some good teaching come your way but failed to put it into motion? Okay, I'm not the only one. All right, good. I think a lot of us have… Well, it's not good, actually. I wish, that, I, wish I were the only one, but that, that is unfortunately something that a lot of us do. You know, um, we need to be careful to avoid that in one ear and out the other virus. I I really would almost call it that, the disease of accumulating information without application. We tend to be that instead of being childlike and assimilating and taking in information. They're so good at that. We need to be more like them. Do you know what the most critical, the most crucial 18-inch distance is in the world? It's the distance from our head to our heart, the head to the heart, That taking information but then putting, allowing God to put it in our heart and help us learn to live it out. You know, in the New Testament book of wisdom, a.k.a. the book of James, which we recently did a uh, study on, written by Jesus' brother, James says it this way, and we talked a lot about it, emphasized it several times, but he said a similar thing. He said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says. Say that with me. Do what it says. Do what it says. Otherwise, you are just deceiving yourselves. So, what usually gets in the way? What is it that tends to short-circuit our teachability, our faith that should be more like, more like a child? What tends to get in the way? It's pride. Yeah, you know it. It is pride. Pride. Pride can be such a problem for so many... Does anybody want to admit, yeah, pride sometimes has at certain points in my life been an issue, a struggle? Okay. So this is relevant to all of us because my hand's in the air too. It is a big problem for most of us in one way or another. You know, now, there are good kinds of pride. Um, You know, like pride for our country... You know, so whether it be Memorial Day or Fourth of July or something like that, it is good to be proud of our country and be proud of the veterans who have sacrificed so much for us. You know, it is good. I'm proud to be an American. Is anybody else as well? <laughs> nothing wrong with that. That is good pride. There's nothing wrong with that. And in a similar way, the Apostle Paul frequently shared how proud he was of the churches that he was writing to, how they were keeping the faith. You know, that's a good thing. It's a good kind of pride. What we're talking about is the negative version of pride that is all about arrogance and egotism and being puffed up on yourself, you know, being full of yourself, thinking that you already have it all figured out, that, you know, you're filled with self love and self importance, vanity, these kind of things. Now, if you think of that and you listen to that and you go, okay, yeah, that's true. That is the bad kind of pride. I don't really think I struggle with that. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's true for you. But before you cut yourself too much slack, Remember, there's another, let me tell you, there's another variation, a subtle change, a subtle variation or difference in terms of pride as well that I think hits most every single one of us, and that is this. It's the kind of pride that is basically something that says, you know, I'm doing fine on my own. I don't really need to ask help from anybody for anything. I don't really need anybody for anything. I got it all figured out. You know, I got this. When we have that attitude and we apply it not only to others but to the Lord Himself, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And unfortunately, many in our culture today have been bit by the mosquito that carries this deadly pathogen, and they're therefore running a dangerously high fever due to the epidemic that this pride virus, you know, looks like or what it is. And sorry, I'm kind of stuck on mosquitoes and and blood-borne pathogens, because my wife's in Africa, and she's been telling me every time I talk to her, how's it going? She goes, oh, this is great. Like, I, I asked her this morning, I, how was church? They're nine hours ahead, so she's already done. It's, you know, in the afternoon now. And I said, how was it? She goes, oh, it was great. I mean, uh, there, was, there was all kinds of wonderful singing. There, was, there were cows mooing. There were mosquitoes flying and buzzing everywhere. It was just wonderful. And we went two hours longer than we planned, and all, but it was great. And Anyway, so I'm kind of a little bit hyper-focused on mosquitoes and stuff like that. She's, Like I said, she's getting on a plane and coming back soon. And Kristen Tessing is there and getting ready to, or she's probably right now on a bus going from Uganda to Kenya um, to, to spend time with our other missionary, Pastor Kennedy. Kim and Kristen have together been visiting with, um, with, with uh, Rita Beach, our missionary in Uganda. And it's a beautiful thing, and we'll hear all about that at some point when they get back. But the point is that pride can be a deadly illness. Look at some more of what Proverbs says. Again, Proverbs is our main source of what God has to say about this today. Chapter 16 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. We often shorten that. You know, People quote it all the time. Pride goes before a fall. That's true. But the verse is there in front of you. Chapter 18 says, Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. Pride becomes before the downfall. But humility comes before honor. How about this? You know, pride will eventually trip you up because it leads you to become short-sighted. It leads you to focus on an inch in front of your nose, to care mostly about yourself, really ignoring most everybody else. Yet it is the humble and loving person who is honored before God, who grows in wisdom because they realize that they don't have all the answers. And that they do need to care about other people, not just themselves. They are teachable. And so God honors that. You might recall what God says also in Second Chronicles chapter 7. He said, look closely. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Notice the sequence there. Notice that healing, and forgiveness do not come until humility comes first. There's so much about humility and teachability in God's Word. So, let's shift gears and look at three habits, three habits of teachable people. I think children tend to be good at this, and we all should as well. Three habits, and if you have the bulletin insert, I'd love to ask you to take that out and fill it in because there are a couple of real important things I want you to write down. So if you have one of those, if you were given one, do that with me if you would. But here it is, Habits of Teachable People. Number one is this, childlike faith in this context of being teachable, childlike faith seeks counsel, seeks counsel. Now, kids ask a lot of questions, don't they? They gen- Sometimes too many, but generally kids ask way more questions and, and often really good questions compared to most of us who struggle to ask as many questions as we probably should. In fact, in contrast to kids, look at what Proverbs chapter 18 says. Fools, that could be you and me sometimes, fools find no pleasure in understanding. We don't ask very many questions. But we delight in airing our own opinions, don't we? Andy Stanley, a pastor, um, speaker, um, author that I really enjoy appreciating He's in in uh, Atlanta area, he was at a conference one time. I was sitting at and I wrote down a quote that he said that I thought really was wise. He said this: he "said Wise people ask good questions and they surround themselves with others who do the same." Uh, yes, that is really good. Back to Proverbs chapter twelve, the Bible says, "The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens listens to advice." Chapter 15 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You know, wise people or, or people seeking to develop childlike faith, seeking to be teachable, seek counsel. They listen to advice, whereas people suffering from that disease of, of pride or, you know, the virus of pride usually do not. A perfect example of what not to do of how not to live in this respect is with Solomon's son. Solomon, who's the one who wrote this, most everything we're reading here in the book of Proverbs, um, Solomon may have been, in fact, teaching this directly to his son Rehoboam. Rehoboam was his son, and here's what we see happening in, in uh, the stories in 1 Kings chapter 12. But basically, what you need to know is that Solomon was the king of Israel, he was the son of King David. And uh, now, under his reign, under Solomon's reign, Israel had grown larger than it ever had been before, and at this point, was larger than it would ever, will ever be again in the future. Well, Solomon dies, and the kingdom of Israel is inherited by his son Rehoboam. And immediately, Rehoboam is faced with crisis. Um, if you want to read the story, First Kings twelve, you can read more of it on your own. But in short, the people come together and they complain to Rehoboam that he should relieve some of the harsh demands and and labor laws and all this and heavy taxes that his father Solomon had put on them um, to build the temple and other things, reasons that Solomon had done all that. And so the people are like, please let up, let up release some of this. Well, Rehoboam, first of all, wisely asked for some time to think about it. He asked for three days to consider their plea and make his decision. All right, that's good. And then he also continues down a path of wisdom. He he asks. Um, he starts off on the right foot by going and seeking the advice of his father's counselors, men that had been around the block a time or two. And he asked them, "What do you think? Here's what the people have asked for. What do you think?" First Kings chapter twelve, verse seven. Their response: If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. So in other words, they're suggesting that he yields to the people's demands to some degree and lessen the burden. Let up on the taxes and prove to them that while you are king, prove to them that you are also gentle and loving and, and, a, and a, a king of the people and that you love the people and that kind of thing. And they will follow you. Well, Rehoboam thought about that and said, yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Nah, wait a minute. Hang on. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get some more advice. So he goes to some of his young buddies, and he says, "'Hey, you tell me, what do you think?' And he explains the whole situation to these young guys, these inexperienced buddies of his. And here's their response, verse 10. "'Tell these people who have said to you, "'Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. "'Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. "'My father laid on you a heavy yoke. "'I will make it even heavier.'" My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. In other words, they're suggesting you need to increase, don't let up. You need to actually increase all of the burden and all the taxes and all that to prove to them who's really in charge here. You show them who's boss. You show them that you know, the old man did, didn't have anything on you and that you're even more you know, to be feared and respected or whatever. Well, guess whose advice for you, Bohm, heeded he wanted to pad his own pockets, and he, he liked the idea of you know, being big and tall and the boss man and whatever, so he heeded the young, uh, unwise uh, uh, advisor's thoughts, and guess what happened? Ruin came their way. Not long after his decision, the people revolted, and ten of the twelve tribes of Israel separated, withdrew, revolted, and went against him. They formed what is now what was called the northern tribe of Israel. And Rehoboam was, was left with just two remaining tribes. And, uh, and they became the, the tribe of Judah, named after one of those two tribes. And that's all he had left. Rehoboam's kingdom was destroyed in so many ways, all because of pride and failure to listen to the older, wiser, more godly advisors that he had opportunity to listen to. He chose to go the other way, and and the kingdom has never been what it was at that point since. Humble, teachable people are willing to listen. They're willing to seek God's counsel, and they're willing to listen to the counsel of wise, godly people that the Lord places in their path. So, let me ask you. I want you to think about yourself. When it comes to you, what is your default? What are you more likely to do? Are you a person who tends to to respect and listen and seek out the advice of the Lord through His holy word, through other godly people that maybe He has allowed to be in your path? Or are you more like Rehoboam, just wanting to go your own way, do your own thing? Maybe you go and find some people that will tell you what you want to hear, but basically you kind of have your mind made up and you do your own thing, make up your own mind. As you can see in the bulletin insert that hopefully you found, there, uh, there is a 1 to 10 scale. I'd like you to circle a number. You know, to the left, the number 1 would be more like the Rehoboam angle. Number 10 would be more like what Solomon is teaching or what God is teaching us through Solomon here. Where are you at on the scale? Circle a number. How good are you at seeking counsel from others? All right, number 2 would be this. We'll keep moving. Childlike faith in the context of being teachable, receives, there's the word, receives constructive criticism. Constructive criticism, or correction, or rebuke, or discipline, something like that. Let me ask you, truthfully, show of hands, how many of you have ever been criticized? All right, look at that, virtually all of us, yes. I'm sure every one of us, many, 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 many times, we've been criticized. Now, maybe it's because some loving, kind soul felt led by the Lord to gently, lovingly, constructively give you some kind of criticism to help you out. Or maybe it was somebody who just felt like you needed to be pointed in the right direction. They needed to set you straight, you know, uh, of course, for your own good, right? That's always the motive. But, uh, but either way, one way or another, you've been criticized. Let me ask you this, by the way, just sidebar. Do you know the difference between constructive criticism and destructive criticism? Constructive criticism is when is when I criticize you. Destructive criticism is when any of you uh, criticize me that, that, that's, that's no, no just kidding but truth truthfully truth be told not everyone does give constructive criticism. not all criticism is constructive or positive sometimes it's just plain mean criticism but the question still remains when you or I, when we are criticized, how do we receive it? How do we handle it? Especially if it's given to us, to, meant to be constructive. How do we respond to that? Most of us, yeah, okay, most of us tend to get way too sensitive about it. And this is next week's uh, topic. Rob Gleghorn will teach more about some of this next week. But in short, most of us tend to get way too sensitive. We are quick to get defensive You know, angry, hurt, maybe tearful, something along that line, because we've taken it personally. But it usually has something to do with pride or arrogance or stubbornness or whatever. The truth is we should all remain teachable till the day we die. So, and and what I would say is don't don't let that shoe fit. And what I mean by that, the old shoe, don't let the old shoe of, and the old shoe looks like this, can't teach an old dog new tricks. Don't let that shoe fit you. Make sure that that's not you that you continue to learn from the children that we saw on the screen and, and the child that Jesus put in the middle of the circle and learn to be teachable. Back to Proverbs chapter 19. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. How about this? Chapter 15. If you listen to constructive criticism, there it is, constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject criticism, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. No one likes to be corrected. Does anybody, anybody say, oh, I just love to be criticized. I love it. I love to be... Okay, nobody likes it. It usually hurts. Especially if it's said in some kind of a mean way, of course. But before we dismiss any rebuke, I think we need to pause and at least ask the Lord, is there at least a kernel of truth in this? Because oftentimes there's a whole can of corn, actually, but at least a kernel of truth. We need to say, Lord, is there something here that I can learn from? Because usually there is. And the wise person seeks to develop childlike faith and remain teachable. Or as we see on that verse there, listen to constructive criticism. Listen to correction. Don't let the pathways in in your brain shut down like what I was telling you that, that Ethan's been learning about. Don't let that happen to you. In fact, Proverbs 10 says this, people who accept correction are on the pathway to life. And those who ignore it, will lead others astray. So, not only if you fail to be teachable, not only does it hurt you, you can have great impact, unfortunately, on others as well, people that are watching and learning from you, oftentimes peers, but oftentimes also children, even more so children, because they are so naturally teachable. And here's what Jesus said about leading them the wrong way, back to where we were at earlier when He talked about being, having faith like a child, Matthew eighteen. The next verse, chapter or chapter eighteen, verse six says, "If anyone, this is Jesus talking. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea." That's how important teachability is. So, how often um, are we open to constructive criticism? Again, one to ten. One to ten. Uh, uh, um, Uh, Line there for you. I encourage you on that scale to circle a number. What do you think? Just you. You don't have to show it to anybody else, but critique yourself. What do you think? Now that you have critiqued yourself twice, I want to ask you to pause and consider something. Consider the question, are you really the best one to do that? Are you really the one most qualified to circle the appropriate number on that scale? Hmm. Well, as you ponder that, let me do this. You think about that for a minute. Did you know, I don't know if this blind anybody, sorry, but anyway, as you look into a mirror, as you look into a mirror, whether it be that one, or my wife's that I dropped and broke, I know, anyway, but um, I'll fix that. But anyway... um, (laughs) Yeah, I I got like 30 hours until she gets here. But anyway, did you know that it is almost impossible to know what you truly look like? I I read an interesting article this week that explained it. Cameras and mirrors cannot, cannot really tell you what you truly look like. Whether it be lens distortion or camera angles, the asymmetry of our facial features, the variability and the flip-flop effect of mirrors, all of this combines to leave us somewhat kind of in the dark about who we re- what we really look like. We cannot. I mean, I mean, it's kind of a bizarre thought, but we really, as individuals, cannot, no matter how much we look at this or that, we cannot really know as well as everybody else who looks at us what we really look like. We think we do, but the truth is other people can see us infinitely better than we can see ourselves. In fact, one more factor that keeps us in the dark is the fact that we can only see ourselves ourselves with that or that or any other kind of, th- or a picture or photograph, we can only see ourselves in 2D, two dimensions, whereas everybody else is looking at you, or look, you can look at me, in three dimensions. You see me way better than I can see myself no matter how good the mirror or the camera. It's kind of strange to think about, but that is a truth that we all need to ponder. Especially, that is, that is especially true with people who spend the most time with us. So, based on that, I want to ask you to take that paper that you have now circled twice, a number, to uh, represent yourself. Take that, and if you're married, go home and say, honey, what do you think? I mean, truthfully, genuinely, honey, what do you think? What number would you circle? I circled, what do you think? Is that accurate? And see what he or she says. Or maybe for you, it's to ask a child. Maybe that would work better for you. Children are so amazing. They're blunt. They're honest. They don't usually hold back. They're not worried about, you know, they don't have the wheels spinning like thinking about, well, if, he, if I say this, then she's going to respond to it. They just, they'll just tell you what they think. So ask your children. Or, or maybe it's a close friend you need to ask. But the point is, is if you really want to know the truth about how you are in some of these areas, sometimes we need to ask other people more than we look in the mirror. We need to ask other people what they think. So, do that, but even better than that, I want to close by telling you this. I want to tell you that more than anything else, we need to remember that childlike faith in the context of being teachable is a faith that always looks up, always looks up. Now, what I, let me explain. You know, children naturally look up a lot, right, because they're short, and so they, they have to. They look up at us to see us, to talk to us. But as they grow up, you know, to our age and oftentimes to our height, they quit looking up. They start looking straight ahead at us. Sometimes if they grow taller than us, they even look down at us. But, but whatever, they, they, they stop this tendency of looking up because of what has happened physically to them. But I want to suggest to you that regardless of your physical age or your physical height, you should always have a crink in your neck from doing this from looking up and letting god speak to you and remind you of who you really are to learn to understand that you are never wise enough that you always are a work in progress that you are still learning and growing Romans chapter 10, verse 17. This was referenced in the, in the uh, uh, elder led class this morning at 8 o'clock, which if you haven't come to that, you need to, need to come check it out. Rob and Mac and Bob do a great job with that. But anyway, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You kind of look at the flow of that statement, or that, that scripture. And we need to understand that we need to constantly look into the mirror of God's Word and say, oh, dear God, speak to me through your Word, but help me to listen. And one of the best ways we listen is to remember to be like a child and remember to always look up. Will you close with me in prayer? Maybe you want to look down. and close your eyes. Maybe you want to raise your hands and look up, but either way, Lord, we just stand before you, or we sit before you, and we just say, oh, Father, help us to remain teachable, to never get to that point where we think we know it all, where we think that we've arrived, where we think we cannot learn from others. Lord, remind us that we can learn from one another. We can even learn from children. We can even learn from enemies. We can learn from anybody. And Lord, I pray more than anything, you help us to not only listen to other people, but to keep our our necks in that position where they're bent so that we are looking up and focused on you. Oh, dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for our opportunity to know that When we gather in your name, you are here with us. And so as we worship you today, Lord, I pray you remind us of your truth, of how much you love us, of your grace, and help us to want to listen to you. I think of Psalms 121 when when David, the father of Solomon, said, I lift my eyes up to the heavens. Where does my help come from? My help comes from God the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, help us to lift our eyes. Help us to keep our focus on you more than anything else on you. So as we worship, Lord, may you be honored. May we worship you with all we've got. And we all together in unity want to say thank you for who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people together said, Amen.